Mutability. Welcome to Nature's Lead. This is a podcast available at naturesleed.com, and this is another Open Valley. This is Open Valley 4, Locked in a Graveyard. That's a very sensationalized title, is it not? <laughs> really working it, pulling you in there. So in this, in this Open Valley, I talk about uh, my trip to Shelley and Keats's grave in Rome, Italy. And I just wanted to say a couple things before I turn to that part of my taping. I actually uh, taped most of this on my way to work and back from work. Uh, so I apologize for the quality. And in fact, the, the quality um, was at such a state that I decided to uh, actually get another device that hopefully will be a little better than the one I was using on, on this one. So I do apologize a bit for the quality that you'll hear. Uh, a couple notes. Is, first of all, I keep referring to the initial place I go in uh, in this story to the Palladium. And uh, the Palladium is not the title of the building I meant. I meant the Pantheon. Forgive me. And uh, so I keep saying Palladium. So just in your mind, whenever you hear Palladium, think Pantheon. The Pantheon's pretty cool because it's uh, this kind of freestanding dome without any... Uh, pillars or anything hold, um, holding it up in the middle, and it's real famous for its architecture, and it's uh, the way that the dome was built, and has the opening in the middle at the top. It's an interesting structure, and one of those tourist sites that uh, everybody visits in Rome. Remember that an open valley is uh, kind of has an open format, and is not as structured and directed as my typical episodes, uh, so it doesn't necessarily have a, a central guided point, but is something I want to talk about or pass on uh, in kind of an open structure. By the way, one thing I do want to say is that it's been two years since uh, the first episode for Nature's Lead uh, back in 2006, and so I want to thank all of you, thank all of the listeners and uh, all your wonderful comments and emails, and uh, it, I've really enjoyed it, and as I've told you before, it means a lot to me, and uh, it's something that is very important to me, and I enjoy. And um, I, it, it's a, a great enjoyment that you're enjoying it with me. And um, so, please continue to listen and enjoy. And uh, I'll be here for you. Okay. So I'll turn to the recording now, and I hope you enjoy it. So here I am driving to work. The fun, fun uh, rat race that. I enjoy so much every day. I uh, decided I'd try to tell you the story of the, my visit to the Protestant cemetery from my car. See how this goes. So Percy Shelley, Percy Bysshe Shelley, and John Keats. These were two English poets that knew each other well and were part of that romantic movement in England. John Keats is a little more known for some of the emotions he deals with, the trouble he had late in life, the depression, love, and Shelley is more known for a lot of his revolutionary ideals. He was, in spirit and mind, a true revolutionary. A lot of his poems revolved around that topic, and you have to remember that, as I've 
told you before, many of these poets in England were seeing what was going on in France. They were seeing the French Revolution, and this was invigorating and inspirational for them. They they felt that 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 government was changing and a monarchy was being tossed aside, and they didn't see it happening in their homeland. They didn't see it happening in England, and uh, for that reason, they looked to France for guidance and uh, inspiration and and uh, what could be in the future. Now, of course, when Napoleon took over and despotism and everything else that goes along with absolute power like that, uh, once that came into pl play, then a lot of their ideals and a lot of their hopes are shattered for, uh, for a people's France. One thing Shelley and Keats did, and as well as Byron, they migrated down to Italy, specifically Rome. And now first of all, Keats you've probably heard of, Shelley you may have heard of. Shelley's more famous probably than anything for his wife, I've told you about before, was Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, supposedly as a part of a contest they were all having to see who could write a more scary story, or who could come up with a more scary story. So Keats and Shelley and, and Lord Byron, they were down in Rome late in their lives, and uh, Shelley and Keats actually lived at one point right on the edge of the Spanish steps, and you could still visit or see their apartment today. You'll see it as you're facing the Spanish steps in Rome, uh, which are, if you, if you don't know, there's this cascade of steps that come down from uh, up above on top of a small hill down uh, in between buildings to this uh, famous fountain. And the steps are very wide and, and uh, cascade in a way, sort of like a waterfall. And just to the right of that is where Kelly and, uh, Shelley and Keats lived for a while. So it turns out that Shelley and Keats both died there, and then subsequently were both buried there. Shelley died in a boat accident, drowning, and Keats died of consumption and depression. They both wanted to be buried in the English cemetery, uh, which is also called the Protestant cemetery, sometimes the non-Catholic cemetery, because it's not just for Protestants, but it was a cemetery sort of outside of the main part of Rome that were for people that were not Catholic. And for me, it was somewhat of a pilgrimage, since I had done, done my thesis on Shelley, going to this cemetery was always something I wanted to do. I'd already visited Wordsworth's and Coleridge's and Shakespeare's. Shakespeare's at Stratford at the church right near the river. So this is something I'd wanted to do for a long time. And I set off from the Palladium. And there were just... It's a story that was interesting enough to retell because a few things happened that were uh, of note, I guess you might say. First of all, there is there is a presence of gypsies in different cities in Europe, but especially in Rome. A lot of them will be sitting or hanging out at the entrances to tourist areas and uh, asking for money and have hats out or something out where you can drop money. And I remember going into the Palladium. There was an old, very old 
woman, gypsy, uh, sitting outside of the Palladium. And as I was going by, I guess she already knew I wasn't going to put money in, and she kind of spit on the ground right in front of me as I walked over the entrance. You, you, could, you couldn't get into the entrance without walking, walking right by her. I thought nothing of it at the time, but maybe as I look back, that that uh, somehow she hexed my day, so to speak. But from the Palladium, I the the path was to go to the Colosseum, and then there's a road to the right, one of the roads that goes off that center Colosseum circleway, and you go many blocks down that road, and and the cemetery is right along the road. So as I was heading to the Colosseum. I stopped to look at the map to make sure I knew where I was going. I was about halfway. It was kind of an area that was empty, although still near downtown. And I see these three girls walking towards me, and I think they're going to just pass right by. But they literally walk right up almost into me. And one of them in the middle has a cardboard, a flat piece of cardboard. And she plops it down, wedged in between her stomach and my stomach, to create somewhat of a table. And it's three gypsies, and they're asking me to put money onto the cardboard makeshift table that she's created. I'm a little taken back. I'm not sure what to do, and I'm trying to. I was trying to look at the map, and I'm trying to tell them, no, no, sorry, no, no, thank you, sorry, sorry, I can't. And just then, as I'm saying that, I looked down and I noticed out of the corner of my eye that the one on the right had her hand in my side pocket and was was digging for stuff and I hadn't known because they distracted me with the cardboard table they put on my put against my stomach so I immediately kind of jumped back I grabbed my embarrassingly enough my McDonald's coke <laughs> from the ledge next to the on the building next to which I was standing I had my uh, hamburger in one hand and a Coke in the other, and I ran off to the other side of the street. And I was standing in the other corner, I looked back, and they just acted like nothing had gone on. They were just acting completely normal and walking still, and they were still walking towards me, so then I ran to the other corner and ran off towards the Coliseum. It was a very strange experience. It was so seemingly innocent and innocuous, but uh, but very uh, very tricky. So as I, I I go to the Coliseum and then I turn go down that street and it's many blocks down and it's kind of hidden it's not it's not really there's no really big signs on a street you know English cemetery this way or Protestant cemetery this way it's very subdued it's in a residential area the symbol or the sign that that lets you know where it is is the fact that there's a big pyramid that acts as one of the walls right along the main drag, right along the main street. And this is the Pyramid of Cestius. And this is an Egyptian pyramid uh, built way back, uh, way back in, Rome, in the times of the Roman Empire. And it, it's a real pyramid. It looks, uh, it looks quite shocking seeing something like that in the middle of Rome. Not sure how tall it is. I would say anywhere from 50 to 80 feet, something like that. But it's pretty tall and, and all smooth. It's not like a step pyramid. It's a smooth-sided pyramid. And the walls on that side of the road are very tall, and and the pyramid acts as part of the wall. The walls connect to the pyramid. And these are the walls of the cemetery. And as you go around back to a side street, 
uh, side street parallel to the main street, there's a little small street where the entrance is. And so I went in and I was at first shocked at how empty it was and I didn't see anybody. The, the gate was open. I walked in and uh, I saw a couple other people milling around uh, in my entire time there and it was very empty, very sparse. But what was so amazing about the place was how beautiful it was. It was of natural style. It was it was of a style that reminded you of Northern Europe. It was There was a lot of foliage, a lot of big trees, drooping branches and leaves and and vines and it was a very beautiful setting it was the kind of place you'd like to lie rest for the rest of your non-living days so I walked around and I visited many different graves I didn't realize that the if I remember correctly the son of Goethe the famous German poet and writer the son of Goethe was there and there were a few others that were of notoriety. And then off to the side in one corner, uh, way far off to the left, uh, sort of across the pyramid, were the graves of Keats and Shelley. They were very innocent, very plain. Two tombstones. The one for Keats was the one that I had told you about before where he wanted to write on there that here lies one whose name was writ in water. It was a nice, beautiful place for them to end up. I would love to be buried in such a place. Very serene, very peaceful, surprisingly, even though the road was nearby because of the high walls all around the cemetery. One thing I noticed was that I kept seeing cats. There seemed to be cats everywhere, just popping out from here and there. And I read later that the, the cemetery is famous for its stray cats that, I guess, live on the grounds and live nearby. There's something about it added added somewhat of an eerie nature to the place. After all, it was a cemetery. And I think just in general, you a cemetery that is more natural with a lot of growth lends itself to mystery and eeriness and and gives quite a feel to it. So after I was satisfied seeing the graves and paying my respects and seeing the Pyramid of Cestius and its grandeur, incidentally I did part of my master's at Cambridge so I was able to visit the places where a lot of these poets had gone to school, such as Wordsworth and and others. Many of them were at Cambridge and Many of them dropped out early because they felt their minds were becoming too cluttered and felt they were their opinions and attitudes were being funneled into one direction. And in a way, this is the same reason I didn't go on to pursue a PhD. I could see where they're coming from because the farther you go in academia, the more your mind is curved towards the goals of the institution. At some point, you must break away and become an individual and try to forge out on your own. So I spent more time looking at some of the other graves and some of the other beautiful tombstones and sculptures. There were some statues and other things that made the sloping cemetery grounds very beautiful. The grounds weren't incredibly large or vast. 
they were big enough, but you could easily walk around in a few minutes. And I was remember I was uh, I remember that I was up in one corner of the cemetery, far away from the entrance, and far away from Keats and Shelley grave, Shelley's grave, almost the exact opposite of the cemetery. And there were these little wires that were connected around the edges of the path. And I wasn't sure what they were for, and all of a sudden I hear this little bell dinging, or some kind of high-pitched ringing of something. Very slight, and it only happened a couple times. I wasn't sure what it was. I, I didn't know where it was coming from, even. I kept walking around for about another ten minutes, and then as I had headed towards the main gate, I noticed that it was closed. It was all locked up. And I noticed that nobody else was in the cemetery anymore. The other couple people that were there were gone. And then I realized that the bells were a signal that they were closing. I had no idea. And there I stood right at the entrance with the gate locked, with a big lock that something I couldn't simply open. I was sitting there locked in the cemetery. And just as this realization was coming over me and not sure what I was going to do, a voice calls out to me about six inches to the left of my face. And I look over and it was through the door, through the little small window, there was a girl talking to me and say, excuse me, excuse me, can you please, please take me a picture of Keats and Shelley's grave for my dad? He's gonna kill me if I don't get it. <laughs> so this, this young girl was was at the cemetery, had just missed the closing and needed pictures and of course I answered, I, I'm locked in here though and she's all, oh I'm sorry, she's like, I, I don't see any way out here to open it so I don't know what to do for you. So begrudgingly, I went ahead and took her camera from her through the slot and uh, went over and took pictures of the grays for her and gave her back the camera and I said, if you see anybody, can you please tell them I'm locked in here? And she's all, sure, but I, I have to run back. I'm late to meet my family. And she ran off and, and left me there. And when she left, that was it. There was nobody nearby. I looked out the window and there was nobody anywhere near the front gates. And inside it was, as you can imagine, eerily silent. Just the wind going through the trees and and the occasional cat here and there. I must say, I'm not into ghosts and goblins, but uh, getting locked in a cemetery definitely is not something I recommend to everyone. At first, it was a bit of, of an exciting adventure in a way. I, it was almost something that I could enjoy for a few minutes, the novelty of it. So I first went to the to the wall near the street, but the cars were so loud I couldn't yell out to anybody, and I couldn't see over the wall, but I did get to one place, I can't remember how, but I remember able to get to the top of the wall, to the edge of the wall, to be able to look over, and and the, the street was way too far down, and it was a cement sidewalk dropped way down. There was no way for me to climb over and, and get down from there. It was, it was much too far of a drop, 20 or 30 feet. So then I had a brilliant idea. I would scale the pyramid and climb over the pyramid, over the wall, and onto the other side. So I went to the pyramid, and the idea was much more brilliant than the execution would be. I 
first tried to stand next to the pyramid and see if I could grab onto edges and pull myself up that way. But it was so smooth and so steep. The steepness of the pyramid is what I hadn't remembered. Then I tried to take a run at it, which was as equally pointless as trying to pick my way up. There seemed to be no way, even wedging against the wall and trying to climb it. The, the slipperiness of it and the steepness of it was too much. So I then worked my way over to Keats and Shelley's grave, and I kind of commiserated with them and laughed. The whole thing was, uh, was stumping me. I knew there had to be some way, but I wasn't sure what it was. Okay, now I'm on my commute back home. I was talking to you earlier on the way to work. We'll see if my voice is a little more lilting on my way to home. Uh, so one thing to remember is that the walls are high all around this place. It wasn't just like a fence that you could just try to scale. At the front gate, the walls were too high there to climb up. At the back, the other side of the wall was too far of a drop. So I made my, as, as I was standing near Shelley's and Keats's grave, I looked over and noticed that although the wall was high nearby, there are a lot of crumbled pieces of artifacts and structures in that area. And so I actually took, <clears throat> actually took the crumblings of a column, a couple pieces of a column that had crumbled, and stacked them up to be able to climb up to the top of the wall that was right near their graves. So I got to the top of the wall, and then, unfortunately, I predicted the other side of the wall a little differently than was uh, than what I saw. The wall on the other side, the drop was a little bit farther. The ground wasn't even with the side that I had come from. So it was going to be farther a drop than I had expected. I don't know exactly what it was, but it must have been 15 to 20 feet, somewhere in there. It might have been smaller, but you know how memories go. They always expand and make it a lot more interesting than it really was. So I'm up on top, and the top was kind of curved. It wasn't a flat top. It was... Uh, it was somewhat curved, and my theory was I was going to slide down a little bit, down the side, holding on with my hands, so that I could then get lower and then drop off. That way the fall wouldn't be as great. The mistake I made, though, is as I started to do this, I started to slide down and realized that because of the curve on the top, there was nothing to really grab onto or slow myself down. So I kind of just slid and then and then had to pretty much turn and abandon the wall and jump for it. I crashed down so hard into the ground, something I've never ever felt in my life. I fell perfectly onto my feet, but my knees smashed into my chest so hard. It was absolutely stunning. I couldn't believe it. So the, the, the force of the land just forced my knees, slammed them into my chest, and I kind of did a tumble, a roll, and came out of it, sitting there, and I uh, realized my camera had broken. So as I'm sitting there in a stupor, I look across the street, across to the corner, and there is a group of locals hanging out, talking, 
and they had stopped what they were doing and were all staring at me like I was a grave robber or something. Here's this guy, an obvious American, having leaped out, <laughs> climbed out of their local cemetery. They looked at me like I had stolen some rare jewels or something. So I immediately, as you can imagine, I immediately jumped up and ran away as fast as I could. <laughs> because I expected any moment they were going to put two and two together and uh, come over and and uh, at least, at a minimum, search me or something. So I ran off and I ran most of the miles to get all the way back to where I was staying. But things like that in life, they really make events so much more enjoyable when things happen that you don't expect. A lot of times I notice in life that there'll often be bad things. Bad things will happen. And later on, when you recollect and you talk about them with friends and, and go over your memories, they're actually wonderful, wonderful ex experiences that you enjoy retelling. It's almost like the worse they are, the better. Now, if I had visited the cemetery and saw their graves and then left... Who would I ever retell that to? It's, it's of no interest unless you're a scholar of those two gentlemen or, or want to hear maybe some more details about the cemetery, what it looked like. But, but in general, it's not the kind of story you, you remember into your old age. So what started as kind of an innocent pilgrimage turned out to be kind of an eventful day. I guess that gypsy that spit in my path, I guess, uh, I guess she knew what she was doing. I don't know about you, but a lot of things like that have happened to me in my life where innocent, comical events have taken place that where things go seemingly wrong, but by that evening there are these wonderful stories that you tell over a pint of bitter. <laughs> well, thanks for hearing me out on that. And uh, that brings us to a close. So until next time, I wish you well, and don't forget to follow Nature's Lead.